Hey guys, Josh here. Welcome back to the podcast, A Survival Guide. Today we're joined by professional comedian and now veteran podcaster, Dan Bublitz Jr. Now Dan's show's come a long way, which we talk about today, and we also talk about what's it like to interview a hero or an inspiration. So that's a really interesting part of this conversation. So today is just part one. Because Dan and I spoke for, I think, nearly double the amount of time that we'd planned to because it was just going so well and we were vibing. So today's part one. Part two will be out in a week. You can support the show if you find any value in it today and you enjoy yourself by clicking on the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes for today or head on over to deadsetpodcasting.com and click on the Buy Me A Coffee link there. Okay, Dan Bublitz Jr., let's do this thing. So today we're actually going to talk about podcasting because Dan's podcast went from being this conversation of great, it was a show about great conversations, I should say, but the quality was very low. And I think, Dan, you're the first person to admit that. You've mentioned it several times, so I feel okay saying that through to a show that now sounds great. And I want to talk about that journey. And I guess the first thing I wanted to know, with The Art of Bombing, do you think that the show would be as good as what it is now if it hadn't have started the way it did and you got that early feedback about the quality being quite low? I guess that's kind of a hard question to answer. I mean, because if I would have already knew to have, you know, if I had the resources to make it a good podcast from the beginning, it may still be a good podcast or even better, if you will. But what the journey did is it taught me. I was the one that learned a lot of things as far as podcasting goes, you know, and and I'm the one that ended up because I got that feedback. I'm the one that looked at equipment. I'm the one that reached out to people that I knew knew things about technology, you know, microphones and recording and asked questions and did the research. And then as I had the resources to buy that equipment and upgrade and to continually improve the hardware and the software to make it a better sounding podcast. Yeah, I did those things. So it definitely was good for me because I've learned so much. And I guess why I asked that, Dan, is I founded the Australian Podcasters group on Facebook like seven or eight years ago now, and I've since stepped down as an admin but I do remember a lot of people when they would get early feedback about their quality, maybe not being at public radio quality or they're not making the next serial or their show doesn't sound as great as maybe what you know Mark Maron's show does out of the box, that they took a lot of that feedback so hard that they didn't keep going. That feedback convinced them that the only thing that matters in this medium is whether your quality is high, not whether what's actually happening on the show is good. So you kind of had enough confidence to know, well, I know the conversations are good. I've just got to work and work to get the quality to a point where it kind of represents those conversations well. Is that a fair statement? Oh, that absolutely. I mean, I've always thought the content and the the, the theme of the podcast was good. And it was also different. That was another angle I was looking at. When you go, and I, you know, it sounds condescending when I say it like this, but I, I mean, no disrespect to people who do podcasts and stuff, but when you think of podcasts, especially comedy podcasts, a lot of them are the same. It's comics interviewing other comics, and they're asking a lot of the same questions. You know, how'd you get started? What got you to do comedy? So on and so forth. And so when you hear one comedy podcast, you're 
pretty much have heard them all. And so I wanted to come at comedy and, and try to have it as a kind of a, a how to, but from a different aspect. And that was where, you know, the art of bombing came from. It was, I wanted to talk about failure and what we're learning from it to get better. And so I knew the concept wasn't out. It was a different concept. Nobody was talking about it. Yeah. And I think maybe we should clarify for people that don't know, because I mean, obviously, I haven't been able to do comedy for a while, but I'm in a phase where nearly every gig that I do has a moment of bobbing because I'm very early in the piece. Can we explain maybe to anyone listening today that isn't familiar with the term bombing, what that means? And also what I want to talk about is kind of like you push through a bit of podcast bombing yourself to begin with on some level. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you've (laughs) you've come out of it a much stronger show creator, so maybe we could cover those two things if that's all right. No, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you're absolutely right on that. Uh, as far as bombing goes, when it comes to performing, as far as comedy, that's when you're you're up on stage telling jokes and people aren't laughing. I mean, that's the simple version. It's it's having a bad night. And there's a lot of different things that can cause a comedian to bomb. They could say something that's super offensive to the audience or maybe the audience decided when they walked up, they just didn't like them for some some reason, like a physical attribute or you know, it could be your jokes just aren't hitting there. They can't relate to the jokes or they don't understand the references. There's so many different things that can cause a comic to have a bad set and bomb. As far as the podcast goes, oh, I absolutely bombed. Uh, I mean, as far as quality goes, just to give people a little bit of a, a point of reference. When I started my podcast, I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have the resources to get the equipment. I had done a little bit of podcasting before that, but my friend, my other friend who was on the podcast did most of the, the, the hardware stuff. So for me, the only thing I had was a phone. I thought I have this idea. I'm going to use my cell phone to record conversations. And that's what I did. Well, that's not good quality, especially right. back then. Cause that was great, like great conversation. <laughs> so. Excellent conversation. <laughs> I was getting good conversation, but definitely not good quality. You know, the first episode that I recorded, I recorded after an open mic on a patio outside of this open mic outside of like Olympia, Washington, you know, I mean, you can hear motorcycles driving by, you can hear cars, <laughs> all the things that are, that people don't need to hear <laughs> in a podcast. I think why this kind of matters, I think is there's a certain portion of your audience. If they've come to podcasting through a certain channel or medium, particularly through radio, or they've heard podcasts mentioned on commercial or public radio or whatever, and that's how they find your show. Those little things that may be cool for someone who's in comedy, oh, they're doing this on a patio, I can hear the environment. They're the sorts of things that those people aren't used to hearing and probably don't want to. So mm-hmm. by having a, what might feel like a cool environmental thing, that can actually put some people off or a great deal of people, depending on what the sound or noise is. And yep. at that point, oh, it, does, it, it doesn't matter how good the conversation is if no one's listening to it. Yeah, well, and that's a big thing that over the years that I've learned is that your sound quality is very important because if something doesn't sound good, people don't want to listen to it or they don't want to watch it. And that's something I've learned. I also 
produce comedy festivals over here in the U.S. And we get a lot of video submissions for the comedy festivals. And that's a big thing, having good audio quality on those submissions. And when comics, when you can't understand them or, you know, there's some kind of background noise, it's, it's distracting. And, you know, you could have a very good short film and a great story and great acting. But if that sound quality is terrible, people are not going to finish it. No. I do remember you saying, Dan, not to go down a comedy tangent, but we'll make this work for our conversation today, that you guys even, I think, received some videos where the comic that was on stage first was the MC still. And mm-hmm. they did 20 or 30 seconds where maybe they got a few laughs and then you didn't realize oh, the, the actual person that's submitted isn't the person on the screen. And yep. yeah, like that, <laughs> that sort of stuff, like that's a production problem. Like that you would leave that in there. It might have been great on the night to get this amazing intro and they hyped you up and they got a laugh. But that's the sort of stuff that when it comes to the editing bay, we as producers of independent shows, we probably could be cutting stuff like that out. <laughs> like that well, does- and absolutely. Yeah. And especially when it comes to, you know, doing some kind of a production for a submission. I mean, you're wasting time. That's 30 seconds that you could be being funny. You know, when when a producer, uh, a festival producer sees that, they're thinking, oh, this guy's funny. I want to book this guy. And then they realize, oh, that's not his submission, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was edited by Dead Set Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. But I think what it goes back to is maybe a lack of attention to detail for what you're trying to achieve. No, you're absolutely right. That and attention to detail is absolutely important. You know, you have to you have to kind of have your goals set out and kind of know where you're going with things. You know, and that's something that I've learned over the years with being an independent podcaster. You know, when I started it, like I said, my only goal was to start capturing conversations about bombing. Outside of that, I had no real vision. I had no real direction on where I wanted the show go. I had a theme. And over the years, even the the content, the quality of the content has improved because I started focusing in more on what the theme should be, you know, asking some of the questions. Sometimes they get a little bit repetitive, but I started, you know, these are what I'm going to talk to my guests about and get their perspectives on these items where at first, no clue. I'm just, I'm going to record, you know. <laughs> And you have to, like I said, you have to have some kind of direction. Exactly. And I think I remember you saying, Dad, that, and I'm trying not to talk too much about stuff people haven't heard, but I'll try to capture it the best I can, that you had several people that wanted to be on the show, and your show's got a tight brief for a comedy show. It's let's talk about the moments of failure on stage in front of people, or maybe virtually now, and how you feel like you may have grown from that and how you dealt with that in the moment. That's a pretty tight brief for a comedy podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's very (laughs) very, uh, 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 tight cast, I guess, for lack of better words. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But you've had people come on that either claim they've never bombed, which even as a complete rookie, that can't be possible. Like I've seen just – I've seen enough comedy from big people to know in moments they've bombed for a second. But you've also had people that didn't realize that that's what you would be talking about. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I've had a few times where I've had a couple guests come on and, and they didn't realize that's what the podcast was, which blows my mind. The name is. It's literally the name. Yes, it's the name of the podcast. It's a comedy podcast called The Art of Bombing. Yes. If you don't think we're going to be talking about bombing, you are way off. Like, you're not paying attention to anything. No. And Dan, your skills as an interviewer over the years have obviously improved a lot. When people are being evasive about it, or maybe they're not being as open as what you were hoping they would be, or maybe what they promised they would be. You seem to have developed a lot of skills of getting into those stories, maybe from a secondary angle. Okay, they're not going to, mm-hmm. we can't tackle this head on. We're going to have to maybe come back to that via maybe some personal anecdote from yourself, or you share a little personal story about a big bomb and then they feel more comfortable about their little bomb. How long did it take you to realize that that was something you were going to have to do as the show host? Maybe wasn't mm. it? Maybe wasn't happening as much to start with. Yeah, I think, and it, probably a couple of years. I mean, because for the first the the first couple of years, I don't think I had a problem with people opening up. And there was a couple episodes where it did happen, and and I think having you know already having a couple of years behind me, like I said, I've grown as an interviewer and it, it I've realized that because even not just getting them to open up about the bombing, but some comics, you know, they're all about the attention on stage, but then you get them in a room where it's just, you know, you got to open up and have a personal conversation or, you know, just be a real person. It's hard for them to do. So <laughs> I've been able to develop them skills to just, you know, ask the right questions and try to be relatable to the guests. And, and like you said, it's showing that, Hey, you're not the only one. We're going to, I'll talk about my humility, my moments of humility through my career. You talk about yours too. And a lot of that, actually, the skill isn't just from doing it. It's from listening to other great interviewers. I'm a big fan of Mark Maron's podcast and I think he's a great interviewer. I some of his guests that he has on there, I don't know him. I don't, you know, I don't know nothing about him, but by the end of the interview, I'm like, "Wow, that was really good." <laughs> you know, like he yeah. really knew how to get them to open up and talk about things. He was real. And I think I think that's important. Is being real and being genuine. It's awesome that you said that because I remember this may not have been your show, Dan, because I listened to so many podcasts, but I think it, I think it <laughs> I was. I don't understand that. <laughs> I think a guest, I remember it was a female guest, that I do remember. She said that sometimes listening or being around comedians, for example, that are always trying to find the joke in absolutely every moment of every day can both be exhausting, but also that probably wouldn't be great for someone to listen to because if you just want to hear people trading jokes, you could go watch them perform or watch a video of them performing. You seem to have a certain energy when you're on there with comedians, that it's going to move at your kind of energy. And mm-hmm. it's a good thing. I mean, it's relaxing to listen to because hearing someone just trying to pitch jokes in another comedian for half an hour or an hour would be basically unlistenable. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And even I've had, you know, conversations have come up where we, we do talk about jokes that we were working on or didn't work. But that's, again, I try to keep it 
on track for what the goal of the show is. The goal of the show is to for the guests to tell a story about a time they bombed really bad because it's always fun listening to these bad stories. You know, when they happen, it's not fun. But after the fact, and you look back on it, it's like, okay, that was kind of funny that that this all these elements happen that this show ended up being terrible. <laughs> and then, the you know, and then the whole point is to what did you learn from that? Let's help other comics avoid these mistakes. And so when it, you know, when things kind of get off the rails, I try to bring it back because that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. I don't want it to be like every other podcast about comedy. And to me, that's what a lot of them are. The thing that I take away from your show is that it is a lot of what the conversations are is applicable to creative endeavors more broadly maybe than just comedy sometimes. It's about dealing mm-hmm. with the moments where things don't work the way you want, which I think is applicable to everything, including a podcast, because I think we all launch a podcast thinking it's going to take over the world <laughs> and then realize yes. that that world is either very small and you've got the biggest audience you can get straight away or you just can't realistically in a short time frame get a huge audience. You're absolutely right on that. I mean, I've been doing my podcast for, you know, it's like four and a half years now. And it's such a niche podcast. You know, my my average listens are, you know, 100 to 150 an episode. They're not great numbers by, you know, normal podcast standards. But I love it. (laughs) You know, Dan, and I know just getting 150 is really hard. You got to oh, produce absolutely. a you've got to produce an awesome show just to get 150 people to listen to it. Yep. <laughs> That's absolutely right. And there's more to it than just the quality of the show as far as the quality of the technical aspects, you know. I through the years I've also developed you know my booking process, you know, I've made it very professional, especially I mean the pandemic was you know definitely hurt a lot of people in a lot of different ways, but there was some silver linings. One of the silver linings for for me is it forced me to evolve, especially on my podcast. I had to go from doing in-person recordings to doing remote recording, but it also gave me time to focus more on my podcast where, you know, I did things like now whenever I book a guest, I send out an email that has all the details laid out of everything they need to know. When I do a lot of the recordings, when I, you know, I was using StreamYard to do some of my remote recordings. I don't now, but because I don't do a lot of remotes right now for that particular podcast. But uh, I had, you know, professional looking um, templates up, you know, nameplates and like a lot of, there was a lot of extra production value that went into it to make it seem like a good quality product yeah and talking about one of those episodes i was going to ask you about this later dan but it's a good opportunity i do want to get back at some point to talking about two episodes that are probably among the funniest podcasts i've ever heard that was the one with zoltan who seems (laughs) to have the fastest brain of any human i've ever listened to in terms and uh (laughs) and also a random one with a guy named i think wally wingett who is a professional voiceover artist that was one of the funniest hours I've ever listened to of anything. Jeez, that was funny. <laughs> but I want to talk about Louis Anderson. And mm-hmm. that was one where you did put a lot of extra production value in. I think you had the lower third going and he's obviously a big guest and I would imagine among your biggest guests probably that you've yep. had on. 
What's it like, and you said in the intro that he was a bit of a comedic hero for you or someone who inspired you, what's it like to be on video, to be recording and putting out something that features an idol of yours in the same thing that you're trying to pursue? Was that extra pressure? Did you feel that one? Not as much because that's being, you know, doing this as long as I have and and doing comedy has helped with that where I've come to realize, I mean, it was still surreal. Don't get me wrong. It was very surreal to be on screen and talking to a comedic hero. But as uh, an interviewer and a podcaster, like especially with comedy, I've come to realize that, you know, because I have been around a lot of celebrity comics just through different shows and different things and opportunities. And I've realized they're just people mm-hmm. and comics have there, you know, it, 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 there's like a, there's like a, a brotherhood or a sisterhood or, or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a camaraderie that'd be a better word where, you know, when you're a comic, it doesn't matter where you're at. We have mutual respect for each other. I mean, obviously there's people out there that aren't great, but for the most part, most comics, if, they know what it was like. It doesn't matter where they're at in their career. They understand the journey and what we go through to, to do comedy. So there's that mutual respect. And so that's made it easy to do, you know, where I could sit there and be professional because I'm like, oh, he's just a person. He's another comic. He knows that I'm a comic and we're going to have this great conversation. Now, if you listen back, an example, an episode I did with Alonzo Bowden, I was still very green in my podcast and he was another comedic idol and the com, you know, he was a great guest. I was not such a great interview because I was kind of a fanboy. I was nervous. I was intimidated and I couldn't believe that I was talking to this person, you know, and it shows. Yeah. And I'd imagine <laughs> that extra pressure of the fact that he has one of the greatest voices full stop that you'll ever hear in your life for tone. Just talking to that guy, his voice is just so incredible <laughs> that that would. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, like this, this guy's the pro, and I'm just the amateur here. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was very intimidated, but by the time I got to Louis Anderson, it's you know, I just I knew what I was doing, and and I wanted to be very professional, and and so it was a lot easier to do. Still surreal. I mean, I still have and I will always have these moments. I started comedy and started this, you know, entertainment later in life. I was 31 and I still have surreal moments all the time. There's there's times when I'll be working with somebody or or doing something within entertainment. And I'm just like, wow, I'm here. You know, 12 years ago, I was married and working a regular corporate job and I had a mortgage and all these things. And it's like, wow, now I'm working with somebody that was on SNL. Never in a million years would have I believed this is going to be my life. <laughs> yeah, that's And without the podcast, I would imagine, Dan, you never would have had an hour of Louis Anderson's time to sit there and have almost like a fireside chat. He was relaxed too. So he must have sensed how relaxed you were to be that relaxed. I was assuming as someone that's a celebrity for the lack of a better term he didn't even he didn't appear in the audio to have any kind of facade up or anything he just seemed like you guys were no. just chatting and we were listening yeah he was very very casual i mean yep. he was you know he was sitting in his in a chair very you know relaxed and and very casual so i wanted to ask about zoltan and this is i'll kind of come at this one sideways a little bit that's someone that in your show and this is where I want to relate this back to podcasting. Sometimes people mention someone that's inspired them or they've worked with, 
and they're not a famous, famous person, but they're someone that everyone in your community, whatever it is, happens to think this guy is absolutely incredible. Your podcast allowed someone like me that had no familiarity with that guy to learn a little bit about him and hear from just you talking to him this incredible brain. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have, unless I was a fan of your show, ever been exposed to... I mean, obviously, you've had hundreds of comedians on, but that's one that sticks out as, ah, Dan has answered the question, why do people talk about this guy and his incredible brain? Because I got to listen to you communicate with him for an hour. That must feel good as a host to get to share these people that maybe aren't celebrities, but you know are brilliant. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, I am a comedian, but I'm also... You know, I root for other people. I want everybody to win, and especially when there's talent out there that, you know, Zoltan's a good example of this. He's a brilliant comic. He turns out material and not just mediocre material. He turns out good material all the time. He, you know, he's got his own fan base and he's doing pretty well, but he's one of them comics where I'm like, he should be on Netflix. He should be selling out theaters. He should be all these things because he is that good of a comic. And a sweetheart. You know, he's like somebody I know personally. I've known him most of my comedic career. He's been doing comedy longer than me, but most of my comedy career, I've known him or of him. We weren't always like close friends or anything, but he's always been a really great comedian and just a super nice human being. <laughs> and so, yeah, it is. I mean, I've had other people tell me they never even heard of dry bar comedy. Until they started listening to my podcast. So they don't have a Facebook account, obviously. <laughs> uh, obviously. Yeah. That or they're not paying attention. Yeah. But, you know, somebody discovered Dry Bar because they listened to the podcast and they were super excited about that. And did you hear that from them directly that you're the reason? Yes. I, yeah. Yep. I became, and, and that was a, that, that particular person was somebody who rates podcasts. Like they have a podcast review show and my podcast became one of their top five <laughs> just because they like comedy and stuff. But they also, you know, it, they, they started discovering things they didn't know was out there. And that's one of the there's ways to profit from a podcast that aren't monetary. And I think becoming a conduit for people to discover things that are great and hearing that feedback is one of those things that you may get out of doing a show that you might not realize until you do one. Oh, I'm, yeah, absolutely. I oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... Sorry, go ahead. You go. I was just going to say, I mean, I honestly don't make money off this podcast. I haven't really monetized it. I've, you know, I've tried to had some, but the time and money I've spent on it does not even come close to any money that I've ever made. You know what I mean? Like uh. what I've spent is way more and probably will be on what I've made from it. And I'm fine because what I get out of it... I'm a comedy nerd. I love talking about this. So there's that. I get to have these great conversations with wonderful comics and I learn from it. But then I have that that's other side of it, you know, get that fulfillment when people reach out and they say, hey, I really appreciate your podcast. I learned a lot. I didn't know this or I discovered this. This is amazing. I would have never, you know, I would have never heard of this person. I would have never understood all, you know, all those things. And that's what honestly keeps me doing the podcast you know i've come to a point where i was thinking about ending it just because you know been doing it a while and i I got a little frustrated on things and 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 i love it so much i'm not gonna end it you know i just took a break but 
but yeah, but, but that's why it's because I know that if I quit, there's going to be people that aren't going to have those moments that I'm providing. That's it. And do you mind if you're happy to talk about it, Dan, do you mind if we talk about a few of what maybe those frustrations were about why you were thinking about ending it? Is that all right? No, absolutely. I mean, part of it is, you know, when you, you're doing a podcast, you, you obviously you want tons and tons and tons, you know, downloads and, and listens. I mean, that's we all want that. We want to be those great podcasts, you know. Mm. And and so there was that where where I didn't feel like I was growing as far as numbers go. Like I was just kind of plateaued and. I kind of set some goals that I wanted to try to achieve and I didn't quite get there. And so I was a little frustrated about that, trying to figure out how to market it. And I know I don't think my show will ever get thousands of downloads, you know, and I'm aware of that because it is a niche subject. My target audience is super comedy nerds and newer comics Mm. you know that's kind of my target base and while there are plenty of comics out there uh there's so many other podcasts about comedy too so there's a lot of competition too so knowing that i'm not trying to get tons of downloads you know obviously we'd like that but i set some goals i didn't quite get there i kind of felt like ah maybe i'm not gonna get there maybe people aren't really getting anything out of this. And I spend a lot of time and energy on this podcast. You know, I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of money. You know, I, it takes up a lot of time because it's, it's not, I'm my only person. I don't have a tech person. I don't have a production team like some of these bigger podcasts. It isn't as simple as me as sitting down at the microphone with a guest and then I'm done. I do all the booking myself. I do all the, you know, all the emails, the contact, you know, getting the interviews ready. Uh, I do all the recording. I do all the editing. I do all the, you know, all the post-production, pre-production, production, production, marketing, everything that happens with the Art of Bombing podcast. I'm the only one that does it. There's no other person outside of, you know, having my theme song. Somebody else did my theme song. Outside of that, I'm everything. And I just got a little exhausted. <laughs> yeah, you speak in the language of every person listening to this, I think, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good that people can relate. <laughs> yeah. 